Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to this season's penultimate episode of the Offside Rule WSL edition. Coming up on this show, Chelsea are champions, the Robins are relegated. We round up all the action from the final day of the WSL, a season like no other. And Chelsea go again this weekend. We build up to the Champions League final on Sunday. Welcome along, I'm Kate Borsay. And I'm Lindsay Hooper and today we're joined by the former New Zealand captain, a Champions League winning defender with Wolfsburg and now a podcast host too. Beck Smith joins us. Beck, thanks for coming on. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I love your podcast. Oh, well, right back at you. We love yours as well and we know that you've got a, a fantastic one coming out soon. Tell us all about it. Oh, uh, yeah, this week is really great, actually. It's with Emma Hayes and Pia Sundtager. Uh, did you love the bias in there? It's really great. It's my own <laughs> <Yes>. podcast. <Yes. laughs> um, but no, they, because they are great, actually. They're two incredible um, coaches, as you know, who have been in the game for so long. Pia, even longer, and even as a player. So hearing a little bit about her playing career. She was on that team, actually, that won the Euros uh, in 1984 in England. Wow. Wow. Yeah, so it was just really cool to hear, like, from an player going into coaching and then obviously Emma Hayes who every time you, she opens her mouth you're just like <laughs> you're, you're really curious what's going to come out because she's always yeah. so honest and open about you know she's how it queen is of the soundbite um, yeah, she? she is you know some of those descriptive words that have been used to describe Chelsea and what a fantastic season geese. they've had so far what yeah. <laughs> the, geese, the geese quote was my oh, favorite in the, the last week really good yeah. really I like good. the like the mentality monsters uh, yeah. tunnel vision trophy winners or something like that anyways they're you know brilliant um I enjoyed the episode so this is the players podcast on BBC uh, sounds of course it's something that you do in uh, conjunction with copper 90 as well and I particularly enjoyed the Rachel Yankee Karen Carney episode mm. just because they are sort of of my era a little bit and because it's always really interesting to um to hear from Karen Carney you know particularly as well after after some of the issues she'd had but uh, we need to get on with this podcast and celebrate the end of the WSL season what a season it's been Bex do you think you can describe it in a couple of sentences for us <laughs> Oh, do you know what? The quality was even better this year. I think the quality, it's its like that growth in, in women's football. It feels like it's more exponential, isn't it, than small gains. Yeah. And and the quality, I mean, I was at the, I actually got was lucky. I got to see some of the matches um, and I was at the Chelsea-Bayern Munich game, the semifinal, and just watching the quality on the pitch. I was with a friend and, you know, she was saying, oh, you just, you, you you can't get over the accuracy of the passing, the strength of the players, the speed of them. Um, and I think from top to bottom, you know, even some of the Bristol City, Aston Villa, Birmingham City matches were, were much better quality this year than, than they have been any year. So it was super exciting. And then always, obviously, it always comes down to the last weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Which has been amazing. I love at, it. At, 
at both ends of the table as well, which is exactly yeah. how we want it, isn't it? I think every game mattered in that last um, in that last weekend. You know, there were there were places that could have gone up and down in uh, across the entire league. So it was such an exciting weekend to watch. And uh, the only sort of negative about it was I didn't have six computers or TVs to watch all the games at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> We're all going down that route more now. Um, before we do get into all the action and we start on the show completely, um, all matches this weekend had a minute's applause before kickoff. It was in memory of Julie Chip Chase, who died last Tuesday following a short illness. She was a Doncaster Bells legend, a pioneer of the women's game. There have been so many tributes that I'm sure, Bex, you've seen as well, paid via social media and, and other outlets too. Yeah, you know, what's really great about that is just there's so many pioneers in the women's game and it's so nice to see the community supporting, you know, those that have given so much to the game. And yeah, obviously heart goes out to all of those who knew her. But yeah, really some really amazing uh, tributes to her. Absolutely. And I know someone like Sue Smith, who would have known her very well, would have a lot to say. And um, yeah, it is a, it's a tough time when it's raw for everyone. But like you say, Bex, I think being able to show and highlight the the impact that so many of these women have had in the game is incredible, especially when we're about to talk um, about what happened this weekend, which was so much at stake. So we will begin our roundup of the final day of the season at King's Meadow and a memorable day for the Blues. You're listening to the Offside Rule WSL edition from Muddy Dean's Media and The Athletic. Champions, it's back-to-back league titles for Ever Hayes' Chelsea. A team with trophy tunnel vision. But today is all about their bread and butter, about being England's best. Chelsea are champions again. Bells, whistles, celebrations. Um, I'm sure it went on for hours and hours. Not too many, though. They've got another game to focus on. But Chelsea did retain their WSL title after cruising to an emphatic win, demolishing Reading 5-0. They didn't hang around getting started either. Melanie Leopold's put them ahead after just 68 seconds. It's the WSL's fastest goal of the season, and it came on the final day. It was a good one as well, wasn't it? A Fran Kirby double either side of halftime put the Blues in control and Golden Boot winner Sam Kerr then slotted home her 21st goal of the season. Erin Cuthbert came off the bench to score Chelsea's fifth and so the title celebrations could begin. Uh, Absolute scenes, I think we can say that at King's (laughs) Meadow. Bex? Yeah, I mean, making, you know, records in their last match of the season even. They didn't have to win 5-0. They didn't have to do it in such a dominating manner, but they did because that's the mentality of that team, isn't it? It doesn't matter what game it is. They're going to go out and and play their best. And you see, it was nice to see Erin Cuthbert as well on the score sheet. So, you Mm -hmm. know, she's been, I think, uh, a really incredible player for that team. Um, But it was nice to see her sort of be able to shine in that as well. And then obviously the duo, which I'm sure we're going to be talking about (laughs) oh we can go there straight away Bex because the Kirby partnership I I still can't get it still needs work doesn't it Kirby Kirby Mm. um you need an American accent go on yeah no it's the Kirby partnership there you go okay some American errs in there Um, I mean (laughs) they have this understanding it's developed very quickly in this first season playing together Sam Kerr getting the golden boot Frank Kirby um, being a standout player of the season 
I just wonder, as a defender, Bex, first of all, how would you go up against these two? <laughs> I'm just happy I retired in time not to have to play against those two. Um, they're incredible. <laughs> they just really are. I mean, that second goal in the game, you know, Kirby picks it up, flicks it off where you can't even, you can't read it because she's in full flow dribbling and she just flicks it with the outside of her foot. Very hard to read as a defender. Sam Kerr runs into the space perfectly timed and she literally doesn't even look and just crosses it right, literally right on to um, Kirby's right foot and is smashed into the goal. I mean, the partnership that they have is actually beautiful to watch. Um, and it's, it would be incredibly hard to defend. Bayern Munich actually did, I think, really well in that semifinal match, which is why I think they won 2-1. They changed their whole formation, went to five back. Um, and I think that's the only way to do it is to try to get more support around you because 1v1 or 2v2, they're pretty much unstoppable. Yeah, it is that one and two touch football, isn't it? It, it, it does make it so hard to defend against with Chelsea. Once they 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 get in their flow, they're just vicious with their vision. Fran Kirby's, mm. you know, eye for a space and an opportunity and then always followed up. Her, her second goal um, in this game was um, a great example of that. Chelsea's third, of course. Um, you know, she's just so good finding space, spotting the opportunity and knocking it in. It's just, yeah, it, it, it has it has been a joy to watch and I'm glad I don't play in defence for anyone because <laughs> they're going to show up the best of everyone, aren't they? Um, yeah. Let's talk about uh, what else makes this Chelsea team um, click as well. Um, Bex, if you're sitting back and looking at it from an analytical point of view, where do the credits go? My goodness. You know, I think the credits go in how Emma and her team, because she mentions her team in, in the podcast quite a lot, actually, have built this team. It goes back a long way. She said in 2013 at the Stamford Bridge final, which was actually the final that, that my team was in, Wolfsburg. Champions League final, yeah. Yeah, she said that we want to be there. And, you know, it's eight years later. And that takes so much time to find the right characters as well as the right players. Um, and I think she's slowly been building that. And... You know, you saw um, Marin Mielda go out. Uh, you saw Magda Eriksson go out. So you have two of your stalwart, le- massive leaders in not just Chelsea, but the women's game, not be able to play in, in some of the uh, arguably the biggest games of the season. And the team steps up. You know, you have other players being able to step in like Jess Carter um, and actually proving that she she looked like one of the best players on the team in in a couple of her early games right so I think just just how they built that team you know from the stars of Ker, the Kirby to <laughs> Pernille Harder you know getting her for what they say is the women's largest transfer fee ever and mm. you know pr- pretty much partially confirmed um but Ji oh yes you know Ji so Yun, fan of her probably one of the most underrated players yes. I think in the women's yeah. game and she is just I was sitting again with my friend at the game and she was like she just never misses a pass she never misses a beat she always seems to be in the right place at the right time but very sort of like incognito so you don't really see her she shows up and then the ball's Mm -hmm. gone you know she gets it the ball's gone um she's always but you can always bounce you know um balls off of her and um she's a support to every single player on that team you know get into a difficult situation she will bail you out pretty much (laughs) um you know, and then you've got the recruitment of a Mel- Melanie Leupoltz, who was one of the top players in Germany. So 
I think the recruitment has been absolutely phenomenal and it's really cool to see how she manages that team. So when you do have big name players going out and a Jess Carter who wasn't a big name player come in, she really performs and that that has to be go down to people management. One of the biggest credits we should give to Chelsea this season, Bex, is is perhaps the fact that they've been out in front, they've been the ones to catch, and they managed to stay out there. And and at times, Manchester City piled on the pressure, Manchester United at the beginning. Um, And you look at the overall season and the fact Mm. that they have got the golden boot winner, they've got the golden glove winner as well in Anne-Catherine Berger. I mean, if you're you're winning in those two areas, you're winning full stop. 100%. 100%. I mean, that's another great player. And Katrine Berger is, we did a podcast during the Women's World Cup. So it was what, two years ago now. And I picked her because I was like, she's just a phenomenal goalie. And at that time it was between, you know, Carly Telford and her. And Carly's also another incredible goalkeeper and person. Um, But yeah, if you have that behind you, I mean, that goalkeepers can make make or break games as well. And they still do actually in the women's game, I think. There was another narrative on the final day that we must cover and it didn't fall in the Chelsea camp. This one fell in the Reading one. It was the retirement of Farrah Williams, her final game. It felt quite emotional, actually. You know, you watch this Lioness legend over the years and I I mean, I spent a lot of time with her when she was at Liverpool, but she's played for so many clubs, so many caps as well she got for a country. I guess with Reading having this big announcement, knowing that Farrah was going to be retiring, you thought they might rally. Then Chelsea put five past them and... I wondered if the if you thought that that was Chelsea just being too good. The first 20 minutes, Reading had some good chances. They were, you know, pushing a little bit, pressing a little bit. And you thought, oh, this could be a really good game. This could be really tough for Chelsea. And then, you know, two minutes, well, after two minutes, that was the first one. But <laughs> even even after the two minutes, you know, from two to about, I would say, I don't know, 28 minutes, um, Reading looked good. They looked like they were in the game. They really looked motivated. And then it was just, you know... Chelsea with all their players doing what they do so I do actually think that Reading played a solid game I just think the quality of the finishing and that offense that Chelsea has it's just I mean it's very very hard to defend it's just everything working in perfect symmetry isn't it and And they're buzzing when you think about the number of games Chelsea you know they had that um, semi-final of the Champions League they had Spurs on Wednesday so Emma had to make changes for that they you know a lot of players getting over the emotional and mental exhaustion of making the Champions League final, then Spurs, then Reading, and of course, a huge final on Sunday as well. Let's get some more reaction to Chelsea's coronation as champions. Earlier, we spoke to Blues legend, former captain and now an ambassador for Chelsea women, Katie Chapman. Well, it's been an unbelievable season for Chelsea. I think it's, you know, it's been a long time in the making. I think it's been like nine years that, you know, it's been building that team to get to this point. So, um, I think half was expected, but it's been, I mean, fantastic. And I know that Emma wanted to get to this point and she's got a fantastic team to do that. Give us some of the secrets behind the scenes, Katie, from what you can see from having worked with Emma Hayes for such a long time. Tell us what you've identified as some of the key strengths, the key reasons why Chelsea are still in contention for four trophies this season, having won two already. I think for one, knowing Emma a long time and I've experienced quite a few teams um, under Emma, she's, you know, attention to detail. She's an unbelievable coach manager. She's a great people's person. And you know what she's built? She's built a great load of staff around her as well. I think if you look at Paul Green and, and Stuart, who have been there from the start, you know, she's built a great team of staff as well as players. And 
as I said, it's been a long process to get to this point. Um, we've had to, you know, fight for, for everything we've got down at Chelsea. And we've got to the point now that, you know, we're given the backing by the club. And I think bringing, you know, great players in, it's drawing more and more talent to the club. And I'm sure everyone wants to play for Chelsea right now, because believe me, I'm, I would put my boots on in a heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> you talk about it being a long time in the making, Katie. I mean, we're talking about a nine-year tenure for Emma Hayes and the coaching yeah. staff that you've rightly identified that work alongside her. Is she a meticulous planner? Has this been nine years in the making to get a team that's fighting on four fronts? We've got the Champions League final round the corner. And is there more to this plan? I think there's always more. You always want to be better and better. I think with Emma, she always wants to learn and always wants to get better. And I know that obviously the Champions League is one that she wanted to do. I mean, we did it at Arsenal when she was assistant there, but I think for her to do it as a manager and, you know, get the recognition she's got for the the hours she's put in um, to, to building Chelsea Football Club, I think, you know, she deserves it. Kirby and Kerr, the kind of Kirby double act dominated um, a lot of the headlines, Sam Kerr's got the golden boots. Tell us who else the plaudits need to go to. Who else in that team is intrinsic to making it work? I mean, if you look at the goalkeeper, world-class goalkeeper, evidence she's got the gold, you know, the golden glove. Um, I think if you just look at the back line as well, there was a real consistency within their back line. Obviously, until Marin got injured, and then you had to sort of shuffle a little bit. But, I mean, they've been, you've got to keep the goals out to win games, right? So sometimes I don't think the defenders get that recognition, but... I mean, you look through the squad, you've got players on the pitch as well on the bench, you know, if she takes one off, teams must think, oh my goodness, you know, she's going to put someone in that's just as good. I think that's what it is. I think the quality of the whole squad, and I think at Chelsea, we haven't had that, you know, and she's got strength and depth there. And she's got, as I said, a, a backroom staff that, you know, have got a lot of experience and you know, help her through and do the job she can. We are enjoying and celebrating the league win, but attention has to be now on that Champions League final. In the semi-final, a lot was made about Magdalena Eriksson being back and the fact, you know, that we had that goal line clearance. But do you think that she could be the difference for this final? Yeah, she can. I think to be to credit to Sophie Ingle for obviously stepping into that 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 position as well. Hence, she gave obviously the penalty away in the game before. You know, she was probably quite nervous to play in that game. So for her to sort of you know step in and take fill Magda's shoes is is a hard role to take. But Magda is. I think Magda's. You know, she's a captain. She's a leader. And you know, when you're sitting there watching the game, you can hear her on the pitch. She's she's orchestrating everybody and making sure that they're doing their job. Um, and she's a big person in Chelsea. Are you allowed to go to Gothenburg as a club ambassador, Katie? Yeah. Do you get a seat? You, you do? Um, yes, which I'm absolutely over the moon with. Um, yeah, we've been invited to go. So it's going to be, I think, I think I'll have tears in my eyes, to be quite honest. I think for one, because I'd absolutely love to be on that pitch. Two, I'm so happy that Chelsea Football Club are there. Um, and two new teams are in the final, which is also great for the women's game. You know, it's not the same old people that are in the, the final. So that's going to be interesting. Obviously, Barcelona are a new sort of team to all of this. So then, you know, the unknown a little bit. So it's going to be really interesting. How do you think Emma's going to play this one? Obviously, Barcelona made the final, didn't they, a couple of years ago? So they have got perhaps a little bit in terms of experience of that of that big final. Although I certainly am not underestimating Chelsea at all. What does... Emma need to do what does the team need to do when they're I guess mentally trying to get prepared for this fixture listen I think they'll be absolutely mentally prepared for this and I know that Emma will give them every single detail they need on the training pitch going into this game um she would have nailed everything she would know Barcelona inside and out um 
and it's going to be it is going to be fun i mean these are the games you play for these are the games you want to be in and you know it'll be fantastic i mean an english club hasn't won it since 2007 since arsenal won it so it'd be great for an english club to get their hands on that trophy final cheeky one if they do do it Emma's won everything, right? She's she's done all four. Does she then move on? I mean, is is that is that, <laughs> that something is that? No, I, what, do you leave at the top? Do you? I mean, I know that you won't know necessarily, yeah, but no. in your opinion, would you if you were her? Well, I did leave at the top. I left. It's funny saying that because obviously I went and watched the game against Reading, and obviously Farrah retired, didn't she? Yeah. Um, and I'm standing there, I'm thinking, I'm so glad I retired at the top because if I was, you know, I've just ended my career on a five 0 defeat. I don't know if that'd sit with me. I'd want to keep going. My body was probably would probably say no, but I'd want to keep going mentally. And I think that's, you know, I'm I'm grateful that yeah, I ended at the top and I had a quite a successful career because I think it's helped me sort of move on from that. But I think knowing Emma, you know, she's hungry all the time. She wants trophy after trophy. So who knows? And I think, you know, to do that job is hard. It takes a lot, a lot of time, a lot of sacrifice. And, you know, I'm sure. You know, she'll make that decision if she gets her hands on that trophy, I'm sure. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Katie Chapman there. Well, Chelsea men's owner Roman Abramovich rang Emma Hayes to congratulate her on the win. But I guess my bigger question is what could this do for the club? We've got the Champions League final this weekend as well. This puts Chelsea right up there at the top of women's football, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, quadruple. It hasn't happened since 2007. Would be only Potentially. This... Potentially. Do not bock it. <laughs> <laughs> Did I just jinx it? Are you guys all knocking yeah, on maybe. wood? Yeah. <laughs> Apart from me, I don't like wood. But that is another podcast in itself. So, yeah. So, you know, Chelsea. Well, look, let's not beat around the bush here. Winning quadruples is something that we normally see a side like Leon do, you know, a side with a rich history in the women's football. You'll have got a taste of that at Wolfsburg as well, Bex. Mm, yeah, we won the triple, so that wasn't what would be not as good as Chelsea should they win the quadruple, not jinxing them. Um, but yeah, it's it's massive. The Leon hold that they've had on women's football for so long, you know, throwing so much investment into it, it's really nice to see uh, Chelsea and, and some homegrown talent as well um, come through and, and hopefully we'll be able to celebrate that but won't be for a while I think the final for the FA Cup won't be until around December or something so we might have to wait yeah. on that one it could be the longest uh, longest and most expected party ever <laughs> yeah I'm there though <laughs> talking about their potential as a world leader in women's football and where the club can go from here let's welcome on uh, to the show Adrian Jacob he's the executive manager manager of the Chelsea women's team. Adrian, thank you very much for joining us on the show. Uh, your first appearance this season, I, I think with pretty much anyone, isn't it? Yeah, I uh, like to keep a low profile and let uh, people like Emma speak and the players speak because let's be honest, it's all, it's all down to them and they are the people that, you know, people should hear from and not necessarily people like me who are in the background. 
Wow. So are you full time <laughs> at the club? How does the sort of hierarchy work if we imagine how this now very successful family tree works at Chelsea? Yeah, so I think we're very different in how we run. I am part time. Uh, to be honest, I mean, I always see my role as doing pretty much everything or anything that uh, Emma or um, and the staff need so that they can concentrate what, with what happens on the pitch. And, you know, with the grand structure of, uh, of Chelsea and how it all works, well, we are amazingly fortunate that nowadays we are a complete beer moth and it's just this huge juggernaut. And yet, you know, as you said, it does feel like a family. We're very, I don't think fortunate is the word, but we are certainly very happy to be in the position that we are and to have the support, you know, and it, and it pretty much is unconditional support. I think that's the amazing thing. It's not, okay, we, we're going to do this because we have to do it. It's we're going to do this because we believe in the project. And, you know, and, and that's the amazing thing with, you know, with, with Chelsea and with our story, that it is a story, it is a journey. You know, you have other clubs and I think each club has a different story and I'm not saying which one is right and which one is wrong. But, you know, you can literally see the steps that we've taken in this journey over the last eight years especially and how we've grown from each of those, uh, basically every year, quite frankly, and certain uh, things that have happened to us and it's not just been like okay you know we want to be the champions of Europe let's just spend loads of money and do that you know we do things in a pretty methodical way and it's uh, nothing has been left to chance and you know where we are now isn't you know isn't down to luck at all. I remember being with you at King's Meadow the the season that Chelsea were looking like they were going to win the title and there was heartbreak on the final day. Liverpool ended up surprising everyone and winning that year. And then the year later, you came back and you, you won it. And was, did that feel for you like the beginning of this journey? And to where you are now, have you had to be pretty patient? Yes and no. I mean, I think the beginning of the journey was actually before that. Then we lost the league the last day of the season at City. We, we looked at it at the time and there were so many lessons that we learned from that. So, for example, we didn't lose because City were better than us. We lost because City had gone full time. And you could literally see the difference in the fitness of the players. And I remember we went, me and um, Simon, who was head of the foundation at the time, went for a, um, a drink at the Mal Maison in Manchester. And we were like, you know, we we have to go full-time. If we want to do anything here, we have to go full-time because others, you know, if we, want, yeah, if we want to achieve things, this is where we need to be. Otherwise, we're just taking part and Chelsea doesn't just take part. And I think that summer we signed um, Gemma Davidson, Millie, Hedvig Lindahl, Neve Fahey and Maria Banasic. And that transformed it. There was a complete sea change. We've always been fortunate in the way that the club massively supported us. And we've had a, a genuine buy-in. I'm not sure yeah. other clubs can say that they've had a genuine buy-in. Yeah. 
And you can see that as well. That's That's been evident for seasons and seasons where you've seen the Chelsea women players blown up big on posters as you approach Stamford Bridge or even at the Tube Station as well. So you've so you've so you've seen that 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 kind of marketing and that profile buy-in. And then of course the investment in the team as well. And when you mentioned earlier those those identifiable steps to get you where you are today and 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 that it's not a surprise, it's not a coincidence that you're in this position where you are two trophies in, two to play for, with a very realistic chance of obtaining the quadruple, which would which would make history for the side. Winning the league is one thing, retaining it is another. What, what's happened at the club to make you the type of side who very unusually have just retained a league title? Experience. Um, I think, you know, you look at men's football, you look at, in fact, you look at football in general and the hardest thing to do is when you're at the top is to stay there. Now, it's not just about what happens on the pitch. It's very much about what happens off the pitch. We're, we're looking at being best in class. You know, Emma wants the best people around her, you know, and she needs to be constantly challenged and the staff need to be constantly challenged. And we need to constantly, I suppose, renew what we're doing and change things around a bit and mix things up a little bit. And, you know, you can't sit still. And similarly, you know, last year when, you know, we were looking at possible targets, I think when we brought uh, Penilla in, people were like, why the hell are you bringing Penilla Harder in? Yes, she's amazing, but wait a second, you've got all these players, where's she going to play? Well, you know what, let's don't worry about that. Is she pretty bloody good at football? Yes. Can we afford it? Yes. Can we get her? Yes. So what the hell are we having this discussion for? And I think that's what's important, it's just refreshing the, uh, refreshing the energy, refreshing the team, refreshing the staff, refreshing the building, refreshing everything, really. Competition is important, isn't it, Adrian? I mean, we've we've talked about that within the squad and the competition for places, and you can see how much that has probably meant that the passion and that desire has gone to the very last minute of the league. It will go to the very last minute of the Champions League final. But I found it fascinating how much credit Emma has given as well to the competition directly for those titles, the way that she's praised Manchester City, for instance, and also the likes of Arsenal in the past and Leon for, for dominating so long. Is it is it that real competition that is a driver? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I've never been shy in praising City, for example, because it is, a you know, women's football, you know, we shouldn't forget it was banned for 50 years. So we're still so far behind everywhere we should be. You know, you can't just have one team on their own driving it. You need to have other clubs who've invested, you know, and City have invested hugely. I think that's a genuine buy-in as well. And the reality is that the pair of us together were off the field much better than if it was just one of us. And, you know, we've got, you know, yes, we're huge rivals on the field and off the field, but we work very well together and we have very shared uh, principles and ideas of where the women's game should go. Do we want to beat them? Oh, God, yeah. You know, we want to beat them every single time. But you know what? If we, you know, so, I mean, even on Sunday, one of the first messages I received was from uh, 
uh, Gavin at City saying congratulations and good luck on uh, next week. The great thing about that was it was completely expected. And as regards European football, it's not unexpected. We are where we are. I don't think we're there before we thought we'd be there. And I don't think we're there. I think it's about the right time. Let's take you to the Champions League final then, up against Barcelona for the women. The men, of course, have reached the Champions League final as well. But what are you expecting on Sunday in Gothenburg? You've laid it all out. You've already confessed to us that nothing is a surprise. Everything is in the plan. So tell me what's going to happen on Sunday. I mean, Emma knows what's going to happen. She's not sharing it with me. (laughs) Do you know what? I I don't really get, well, I was going to say I don't get nervous, but the the worst part of this season was actually the second half against City, which was really unenjoyable. I think for me, am I confident? I'm confident in the players' abilities. I think we have an amazing squad, an amazing management team um, who will leave nothing to chance. But it's a final. I have, you know, I hope we win. What happens if you don't win, Adrian? Uh, we dust ourselves off and go mm. again. And to be, and that's the same if we win as well. What we can't do is look at it in any way as a one-off. You know what we're we're not looking to win the Champions League once. We're looking at creating a dynasty. We're looking at creating. You know, we're looking at being there for a long, long time. You know, personally, I think that women's football, the top table has changed, and I don't think it was a surprise that um, you know the four semi-finalists were Barcelona, PSG, ourselves, and Bayern Munich, who are all huge names in football, never mind women's, men's, they're just huge names, as opposed to, say, the more traditionally large names in women's football, such as Leon and Wolfsburg. I think, And I think you've seen a, a change in how women's football is from that. But, you know, look, we, on Sunday, we'll go there. I think, you know, other than Marin got a fully fit squad. I don't know. I've not spoken to Emma about that. You know, the girls are on a high after winning the league, as they should be. You know, we every obstacle they faced, they've overcome it. And, you know, whatever happens, it's the best Chelsea, I think I said, it's the best Chelsea squad we've ever had. But we'll keep building. Well, we wish you all the best. We have got everything crossed. We want to see an English team flying the flag in Europe for sure. So thank you very much for joining us on the show. My pleasure. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Adrian Jacob from Chelsea Women's Team. Uh, Really good to hear from him. And we'll look ahead to the Champions League final with Bex um, a little later on in the pod. But we're going to return to the weekend action first because with Chelsea being crowned champions, what did that mean about the side in second? Well, Chelsea's victory meant that Manchester City finished runners-up for the fourth consecutive season despite winning at West Ham 1-0. Ellen White came up with a winning goal 15 minutes from time after City had failed to score two penalties. Or should that be more... 
to the credit of Hammers keeper Mackenzie Arnold, who saved two penalties. Uh, West Ham finished ninth, while City are left to reflect on another impressive campaign that fell just short. So what do we make of City's season then, Bex? I don't think anyone likes to be... I'm not going to say sloppy seconds, or maybe I am going to say it anyway, but that is going to great for the fourth season in a row, isn't it? Yeah, it's going to great. I mean, that that is really annoying as a, as a player to have, and also such great players. You had the boost from Sam Mewis, Rose Lavelle, then Abby Dahlkemper as well, you know, three world champions coming onto the team and just adding that oomph. And then, you know, you have already great players. You've got the world's best player, Lucy Bronze. Um, you know, you've got Caroline Ware even there in the, in the midfield that I think gets overlooked a lot, but one of my favorite players to watch. And and the list goes on and on. Demi Stokes, who, again, another another underrated player. So yeah, it's, it's super annoying, I think, for them. And also just the amount of investment that they put into recruitment, but also the facilities um, and the support to the players and the media behind that team. Uh, they seem to be doing everything right. But you can, you know, on that last day when they're missing two penalties or sorry you, you're right Mackenzie Arnold did have some great saves actually she really yeah, did yeah she did look how many people can say that an average day at work contains saving penalties from Sam Lewis and Rose Lavelle <laughs> because I think I think that's pretty good um but let's use those players for a word of caution of course both of those Mewis and Lavelle expected to leave in the summer Chloe Kelly likely to be out for a little while with her ACL injury Beck suddenly Manchester City could they be looking a little bit short? Um, I mean, I wouldn't say short. You, you look at that squad and they still have some of the best players, I think, um, out there. Uh, but it certainly does leave more opportunity, leaves more opportunity for players to come and play in the Champions League in, you know, arguably now one of the best leagues in, in the world. So it'll be really interesting to see what types of players are going to be moving, both internally, because, you know, Bristol City is going down, Aston Villa, I've heard Iwabuchi is looking at different clubs potentially. So, you know, from within the, the the league, how many might be shifting, and then also externally, um, internationally, to see if they're, you know, what kind of players are going to be coming over uh, to play in Man City. But no, I, I still think that they have, I think they do a lot right at that club. So um, I don't think that there'll be massive holes, uh, mm. you know, as long as a Lucy Bronze doesn't leave and a Demi Stokes and a Steph Horton and, you know, and also Jill Scott. See, it will be interesting. I don't know if she's going to be on loan for next season or if she's going to be finishing or I, I, I really don't know about her plans. If you guys have heard. Yeah, but. she's she's definitely yeah. coaching. Um, so she she has a coaching role mm. at the club, but it, 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 it totally depends, doesn't it, how much playing time, if any, that includes. Um, Lindsay Gareth Taylor, after the game, you know, called the club a work in progress. And in a way, that is quite a good way to frame it when you're taking uh, perhaps a step aside them finishing second for the fourth consecutive season and mm. instead looking to the work that is going on there and the fact that he's only been in place for a season. Yeah, and what he's achieved in that first season and part season it is incredible. I, I think when you look at the project that we've just been talking about with Chelsea that took nine years, um, City will have longer-term ambitions for this side and for how they progress in the game. I think the big question now, going into next season, if we're going to look really directly at the immediate future, is are Manchester City, who finished second this season, are they the team that are looking at how they close the gap to Chelsea or are they more the team to be caught by the likes of Arsenal or Manchester United and I think it all comes down to what Bex has already touched on which is the transfer window you know if Iwabuchi which is being rumoured could end up at Arsenal I think they're also being linked with other players at the minute too 
Um, I haven't heard so much about the transfer rumour mill at, at City, but they're going to need one because, um, as we've seen with Chelsea, there is backup now pretty much, not quite, but nearly in most positions, certainly throughout the spine of the squad. And City need to, to definitely up it. You know, you can't look at this and think, well, the manager only had a certain period of time. If he has longer than now, we're going to be expected to go on and challenge or potentially even win the title. I actually think the competition's going to get tougher. I don't know whether you agree. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, Man United started off really strong and I think the definition of uh, a title winning and a quadruple winning potentially uh, team is that you have a deeper bench and that you can pull on your Charles's when you need to. And Man United just doesn't have that yet. But, you know, look looking at how they started the season, had you been able to carry on a full season with that starting 11, 13, you know, they, they would have contended for, for the top position too. So I, I agree. I think there's some teams and Everton, I mean, great players, you know, Izzy Christensen, Haley Rosso, mm. Jill Scott's now gone over there. Govan. Govan. Can they hang on to Govan? Really interesting. So I, I think the top of the, the table is definitely going to be closer. And Man City looking at where, where they ended up in the table is only two points behind Chelsea. So for all that we talk, you know, huge game for Chelsea, um, two points behind is, that's one game. Just touching on West Ham, they were, of course, City's opposition in this last game of the season. Australia midfielder Tameka Yellops joined the side. Uh, she's uh, played for Brisbane Raw in her home country and also Norwegian side Klepp as well. Uh, that's the former club of Hammers boss, Oli Harder. So you can see how that one came about. But uh, Beck's just reflecting on what West Ham need to do. They've been mm. lucky, really, to remain. I mean, I mean, it was so tough down there. You could you know, say that about a lot of the teams. But the point is, they have survived. How do they need to build for next season? Do you know, for me, that one is, it's got to be a leadership thing because they do actually have some incredible players. Uh, Emily Van Egmond, I played with her in Newcastle 100 years ago when she was about 12 years old. Um, <laughs> uh, but she was an incredible player then and she's still, I think, one of the top midfielders. Yeah, she's a great player. Really, one of the top yeah. midfielders in the world. Um, and then, you know, You've got some other incredible players as well at West Ham. Jilly yep. there as Jilly, well. Jilly Flaherty, Martha Thomas, exactly. So I, I think it's it's a lot more of how they gel together. You know, a lot of times for me, it feels like their midfield is really exposed, that Emily's running a lot, uh, not getting much joy. Um, so I, it feels like for me, it's a little bit more tactical. Um, and then a few more recruits. I think they need two, two really good players. They need a, a really good striker. Um, and then, yeah, I, I think that you're right. They did get a bit lucky this season, but they have, you know, they have the resources they've put in. They want to make it a good club. Um, they have the support from their top management, obviously. Um, you know, they've got all the BBC series, so they've got the visibility. <laughs> so. As long as it's as long as it's the right sort of visibility. I think they saw a lot of value in, in having a series like that, which, you know, arguably a lot of England saw. Well, as this conversation mm. is going in one direction, um, I think we all say that's the top of the table decided. We moved on to West Ham and now we'll go to that other end of the league. 
A 3-1 defeat at Brighton meant that Bristol City were relegated from the WSL. Matt Beard's side knew they had to win to have a chance of beating the drop, but they fell behind early on to Mayor Letizia's close-range finish. Manchester City Loney Liga Mim made it two just after half-time, but Robin's substitute Abby Harrison made it 2-1 to give her side ooh, a glimmer of hope. However, Inessa Kagman's deflected free kick wrapped up victory for Hope Powell's side, meaning that City drop into the second tier for the first time since 2016. Let's break down City then. We've got to reflect the fact, I suppose, that before Matt Beard came into the side uh, to cover uh, for Tanya Rocks to beat, they were on just two points, Bex. He's managed to get 10 points at this crucial second half of the season. But it wasn't enough. And I just wonder whether there's, I don't know, I just, I, I, I kind of feel like Bristol play, uh, rely too much on the counter-attack. They rely too much on the, the pace of Ebony Salmon. And they're just a bit disorganised. When you're a club maybe struggling in resources or struggling for form, you've got to be so viciously organised. And there was been so many defensive errors with Bristol that they can be really frustrating to watch. Yeah, you're right. It does feel like um, in the defense, in the individual errors that they they, they look quite isolated. Um, you know, it reminds me, <laughs> if, if I may, when I was back first starting with the New Zealand team in 2007, and we were like a group of people who hadn't played. You know, I was the only one sort of playing professionally, and and we just didn't have that international experience. We were very, very much um, the underdogs, and and didn't have the same skill level or anything as the other teams. But what we did have is we had our fitness and we had the organization. Organization. Um, and we just, you know, created a really strong defense and, and built everything from there. And if you don't start with that, you you can't really build anything on that. And I think you're right. It starts from the back for me with Bristol City. You know, the evolution of this team has always had one thing at the center of it, and it's it's their way of recruiting is from development. Um, and I just wonder how much now, when you look at the WSL littered with teams mm. that are huge Premier League clubs and their, their their club identity now has a men's and a women's side. And I just wonder with Bristol City, who've always had this, you know, Bristol sport for a long time, they had Bristol Academy prior to that, whether it's going to be difficult for them to keep up when you've got the likes of Leicester City coming up who are also attached to a men's team. Is this one of the things that they're up against? Yeah, definitely. And when you put, you know, each of these players against individual players on the opposing teams and you look at the Chelsea's, Man City's, Arsenal's, Man U, and you see the big names and how they've been developed, um, it's it's hard for them to compete because they're, they're not at the same level. A lot of them are a lot younger as well. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think, great, Bristol City, you know, focusing on development and youth players, amazing. We need clubs like that. We need that investment in the youth teams. But do they belong in the top league? Very, very difficult. It's tough, isn't mm. it? Their opposition for this final game of the season was Brighton and they end up finishing second. Sixth. Yeah, a decent finish in the end for them. Uh, moving on to Arsenal nil, Aston Villa nil. Um, I have to say this was the shot result for me of the entire weekend. Um, Villa <laughs> secured their place in the WSL with an excellent point at Arsenal who confirmed their qualification for next season's Champions League. It was win-win in this match then all round. Arsenal dominating the match with 79% possession, 18 shots to Villa's two, but they couldn't give outgoing Gunners boss Joe Montemuro a winning send-off. Well, incredibly, Villa's draw is the only point anyone in the bottom five picked up against a top four team this season. 
in that sense, go Villa. Um, <laughs> however, uh, Sunday's match proved to be the final game in charge for their manager, Marcus Bignot, who's now left his role as interim Aston Villa boss. He was given the job in January. Coach Gemma Davis, who was in charge before Bignot's arrival, and assistant Jenny Sugarman have also left the club. Uh, Villa drew their final five games to finish three points off the bottom this season. So, goodness me, uh, what's happening at Villa, Bex, where does our analysis go on this one? It feels like they're having a clear out before they have a serious think about what's next. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see, you know, first time in the WSL. So that, you know, to be able to stay in the WSL is, I think, an achievement. Um, and then to be able to recruit big players like Iwabuchi, you know, Anita Santi coming over, Diana Silva also, mm-hmm. you know, I think is a good player. So... Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do, but they, uh, I think it, you go either way. You either come into the WSL and you, you try to gun for the top or you just sort of hang on to not get relegated. And it, I hope that they're looking to make that decision to, to really invest in the team and, and sort of recruit a proper, really professional coaching staff, which I'm not saying they didn't have, but maybe even look outside of England. There's just opportunities, I think. But it'll be really interesting to see which way that they go on that one, because like you said, it looks like a pretty open book right now. Yeah, I mean, we, if we're going to talk about Marcus Bignot, I guess we, we should also do the same with Joe Montemoro with his, his final game. 70 games, he was in charge of Arsenal. 53 wins, 6 draws, 11 losses. He's got a really good record. Uh, 200 goals mm. scored. I think that was the biggest surprise. You know, all the goals that Arsenal have scored. And on this final day, how on earth did Villa, and as a defender, it's interesting, but how did they manage to keep this clean sheet? Do you know... I, th- I mean, tribute to Aston Villa. They were fighting and, and they, they worked hard. They definitely worked hard in that game. But on the other side, on the flip side, and I talked to Viv Miedema about that on, on the podcast, that sometimes it just feels like there's a lethargy in Arsenal. Um, they don't really have that hunger every single game. And, and on any given day, you're not really sure which team is going to show up, which is, I think, a shame because I know the girls really like Joe Montemiro and he's he is a fantastic coach, a yeah. really nice person. What did Viv say about that then? She said Bex? she was frustrated. <laughs> yeah, she got frustrated. You know, she, she was really honest and she said that, you know, it, there were games that we gave points away with that were just so unnecessary. And the start of the season for Arsenal was, the reason why you know they're three right now and and nowhere near one and two I think so I think they just started off really passive um and for no real good reason because I think they do have amazing players and Joe I, again I think is an incredible coach but I don't know what it is I think it's a mentality it's the it's the head it's got to be the head We've already spoken about some transfers with you, Bex. Um, I think Arsenal will be at the thick of this. Um, Jill Rod left for Wolfsburg, hasn't she? Uh, Mana Iwabuchi. I think. I think the the rumor is suggesting that that could be one of the key signings, and apparently also interest in Ingrid Engen. Mm. Um, could you see angry Ingrid <laughs> Engen as she became during the World Cup? Lens. I don't know if you can remember that about yes. the Norwegian player. I do remember. She's her. with Wolfsburg, isn't she? So is that kind of a bit of a Jill goes to Wolfsburg and Ingrid goes to? Arsenal? Don't know. Let's see. There could be a swap, like you say, and maybe Arsenal need a bit of anger for next season. That's true, actually. Maybe they need a bit of Norwegian fire. Exactly. So with Arsenal confirmed in third, what about the team who they beat to that final European place? Manchester United next. 
Manchester United finished a point behind Arsenal after seeing off Everton with a 2-0 win. Ella Toon's fine volley from Kristen Press's cross set United on the way and Toon turned provider for the second when her corner was headed in by Kirsty Hansen late on. Well, despite losing that game, Everton equaled their best finishing position, ending in fifth place. So a season that promised so much for both sides. I think we could have probably put them on an on an even pegging, couldn't we, right at the start of the season? Bex, how do you analyse how both those sides have got on? Yeah, I think, I mean, we touched on Man United a little bit, but I think they started off really strong. And I think that they've done an incredible job with recruitment from Mary Earps as the goalkeeper, you know, all the way to the two Americans, Tobin Heath and Kristen Press. But the the interesting thing to see was that when Tobin was out and Kristen was on or off form, the team didn't really rely on just those two Americans, which I think the press sort of like to say quite a lot, but they have just a really strong roster. Alessia Russo, Jane Ross from in the middle, you know, Lauren James, one of, I think, one of the most exciting young up-and-coming players getting quite a lot of game time this season. I'll interject there then, Bex, yeah. because, you know, the, the strong rumours that Lauren James will be going to Chelsea... Ah, interesting. Interesting. So I do wonder, do you think that they'll manage to hang on to her? Chelsea don't need Lauren James. I mean, <laughs> come on. I'd actually be I'd actually be upset by that because 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 then they, they are they are gonna have to get rid of someone like Beth England, aren't they? They're gonna have to they're gonna have to ditch one to buy one, surely. Sorry that's harsh, ditch one to buy one, but No, but it's a really good point about Beth England. You know, because we didn't talk about her, but she's clearly one of, I think, the best forward strikers on the planet. And, you know, with the, the duo up top doing so well, and if they do bring in a Lauren James, what will Beth England do then potentially? Exactly. Okay, then. So is there a, is there a swap on the card? Should we start doing the business yeah. for them? So Beth England could go to United. <laughs> I mean, I like Lauren James at Man United as well. I, she's, I think it just fits for that, that style that they play and, and how she can come in as an impact player. And she does. She impacts the game almost every single time. Mm. So where do both mm. sides go from here? We know that Kristen Press and Tobin Heath will, uh, will have, would have played their last games uh, for the club. Obviously, Tobin's been out injured. Mm. Uh, so they do have a bit of a gap to Phil. We've seen how good Ella Toon is and you've mentioned uh, several other players as well. But how does each team approach it? So Manchester United, how do they approach next season? And I'll give you the same question uh, with Everton as well, Bex. I think they need to build on their offence. I think the Man United's defence, I felt, looked pretty good this season. I thought they were one of the best defensive teams I've seen. Um, didn't let in a lot of goals and, and also didn't have really big score lines um, and then had, you know, a few really nice, really nice comebacks. Uh, so the mental side, I think, is there as well. That Man Manchester derby was one of my favorite. The 2-2 was one of my favorite matches of the whole season, I think. So from a mentality standpoint, I think, you know, in their in their leadership, that's probably been instilled. But I think they need a little bit more off offensive power. I'm in speculation mode, Bex. Um, sorry. Yeah. What else have you got to throw into the mix then, Lynn? Yeah, Ebony Salmon. Easily the standout player from Bristol. Mm. They've now been relegated and, and I could see her potentially. She too like for like with Lauren James though, unless Lauren James does go to Chelsea and then I and, and then I think that that's fair. I will let the listeners decide on that. That I, I certainly have my own feelings about it. <laughs> what about Everton, Linz? Let's just focus on them for a second. Hang on yeah. to them. Um, started off, Hang of course, 
so well. Yes, hang on to Govan. They started off so well. They had that blip and they've come back a little bit from that. There's no doubting there's extra investment there for Willie Kirk. It's an exciting team. We know that there's good stuff going on. Do they just simply need to concentrate on the build that's already taking place without shaking too much up this summer? I personally think so. I think they've got great players. Um, I think they're not like huge name players and they don't get a lot of attention, even though they've ended up at fifth. But Haley Rosso is one of my favorite midfielders to watch. She has such offensive power as well. Um, and Izzy Christensen, you know, looking to still try to knock on the door for that England team. You know, when we were, we did choose one of the ones that did our first podcast a hundred years ago when we, it feels like when we started the podcast, but <laughs> she, um, you know, she was saying she really wants to be in that Olympic squad and you know how, how it's progressed. It, it's not looking that likely, but I still think that she's one of the top players that England has as well. And now with Jill Scott, it'll be interesting to see if she goes back to Man City or stays there, but incredible leadership skills, I think on that team. So I don't think there's a lot more you need to plug in if if I'm honest Claire Emsley you know great players Alicia Lehman we will move on Bex because I know we haven't got you for too much longer but one final point on Everton is I think they will look back on this campaign and it is the experience they gained from it from losing in that FA Cup final the delayed one uh, and they had that disappointment they took it into the league matches I don't think they'll do that again so I think you're right I don't think it's necessarily an overhaul and it's just about learning and that experience that you get from playing in the top flight and this, this will be an integral season for them to look back on I'm sure um, Birmingham and Tottenham next Next, uh, we'll whistle through this one. Birmingham's winless run in 2021 continued with defeat at home to Spurs, but results elsewhere meant they avoided the drop. Kit Graham's fine strike from the edge of the area. That was the difference between the sides and it ended a run of four defeats for Rehan Skinner's side. Spurs end in eighth place, while Birmingham, who were given a one-point deduction last week after Ruesha Littlejohn failed to serve a suspension in the correct match, at slipped to 11th, two points above relegated Bristol City. I think Spurs will sort of part there for now because we know that there needs to be a bit of work at that club. But just your reflections quickly, Bex, on Birmingham. And actually, despite all they've been through this season, breaking COVID regs, injury issues, being able to field a full team, issues with their ground, uh, credit Mm. to them for staying up, I suppose, a real lesson in resilience. I think the players have done an incredible job and the coach, Carla, but I think the the club needs to really decide what they want to do with that team. You know, if you're if you're having players publicly saying that they're not being treated properly and there's not the right facilities, that's a big statement to go out publicly and say that. So and then, you know, not serving a suspension properly. That's that's just really bad yeah. admin, yeah. if I'm honest. So I mean that club needs to either, in my opinion, sort of figure out what they're doing if they want that club to really stay in in the FAWSL or or not but I don't think the play I think the players deserve either the backing of the club or or an honest chat to say look we're not we're not going to stay here so find another club we have to look ahead and preview the Champions League final now Bex so Chelsea against Barcelona you know both of these teams but I mean your experience playing within Europe what are Barcelona's key strengths what should all Chelsea fans be fearful of possession they are just incredible in possession. They get the ball and it's very, very hard to get it back from them. So, um, and I know, you know, Chelsea has played some matches where they played at a higher press um, and they do tend to press quite heavily uh, with multiple players as well. So, but the Barcelona players are so talented at being able to wriggle out of those situations, work with the ball out of really tight spaces under really strong pressure. So I, I, that's why, you know, Barcelona is so nice to watch as well. And then they've got the Hermosos. They They've got Caroline Graham Hansen, who I think is 
arguably the best player on the planet, hands down. Well, look, Barcelona have been here before in terms of a Champions League final. Uh, they lost 4-1 to Lyon a couple of years ago. Chelsea uh, haven't been here before. How, in your experience, you've been here with Wolfsburg, how do the team not get phased, mentally prepare? Is there anything you did as a team to prepare for a fixture like this, Bex? Do you know, I think in our first Champions League win, we didn't expect to be there. And I was talking to Rachel Yankee about exactly that. They didn't realize the significance of winning the quadruple and Kaz Carney said the same. And that's how we were going into the Champions League final. We're here. We deserve to be here, but we're playing against Lyon, you know, arguably the world's best team. So we didn't really have a lot of pressure. We were definitely the underdogs. And I think Chelsea, I don't think Chelsea is the underdogs. I think Chelsea on paper is probably the better team. So what they need to do is just make sure they don't put that additional pressure on themselves and go into it and just enjoy it. Because when they play for fun, that's what they did against Reading. They were having fun. They were laughing. You could see them. They enjoyed playing. And if they go out and they they enjoy playing in that final, um, I think they'll definitely have some luck. But if they put that pressure on and start getting stressed out that they don't have the ball in the first 20 minutes because Barcelona is playing ticky-tacky, it could be a long, long 90 minutes. So where where do you go with a with a score here, Bex? I hate to do it to you, but we, we've all got to, we've all got to do this. Kate's got to do one. I've got to do one. Oh, have I now? Do one. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what? I hope it's a high scoring game. So I, I'm going to go with like a three two. Who two? See, who that's two, the question. Three, two, who? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go Chelsea. I'm going to go Chelsea. Well, then but, I'm yeah. going to go Barcelona because I think it could go. Honestly, it could go either way. You are banished from this land yeah, forever. I'm Bex very Smith. sorry to my British friends. Uh, I'm going to go closer. I'm going to go much, much closer. There's too much to play for. The sides are quite similar in some respects. So I'm going to go for a nervy 2-1. To Chelsea. To Chelsea. I, I do think Chelsea will trail in this game. I'm going to say that, though. I think they will go on and win, but I think they will be behind, which doesn't bode well for Emma's heart palpitations. (laughs) Um, Right, we'll reflect on Chelsea's Champions League final in a special podcast next Tuesday. Plus, we're going to be handing out our very own Offside Rule Awards. We'll have manager of the season, player of the season, goal, save. You know the drill because we've done it all before. Uh, You can get your nominations in as well to us using at Offside Rule Pod on Twitter. We also have that handle on Instagram if you want to get in touch that way. Um, and we'd love to hear from you ahead of those votes because it also it might sway us a little bit. Uh, Bex, an early vote for you, please. Player of the season. This is a very, very hard one, as we all know. I'm going to go with Xi Sojun, I think. Okay. You know, Emma Hayes said, well, I said, what are your favourite players? And she said, the ones that are consistent, the ones that always show up and get the job done. And that's what Xi does. And she does it in such an easy way. She makes it look easy. And the best players always do. Well, uh, just a quick one on the FA Cup fifth round. We'll talk about that more uh, next week. There is a set of fixtures uh, this weekend. So we'll pick up on that next week, along with, of course, whatever happens in the Champions League final. Bex, you've been brilliant. Thank you for coming on for your very first debut on the Offside Rule. (laughs) Thank you so Um, much. What is next for you this week? What are you doing on the Players Podcast and, and who's coming up? Remind us where we can find it. Right, thank you. Yeah, we we have Emma Hayes and um, Pia Suntaga. That's coming out tomorrow on Wednesday. Uh, And then our last episode, actually, of season two will be coming out the following week. And that's going to be with Jilly Flaherty, the first goal scorer of the ever FAWSL, uh, and Rhea Percival from Tottenham. Um, We're going to be doing a sort of a defender's chat. 
We look forward to listening to it. Uh, quick shout for the website, offsiderulepodcast.com. We've got some preview pieces. So our man in Europe, Martin Whiteley, will be talking Barcelona and there'll be a preview piece on Chelsea as well from Jesse Parker-Humphreys. Plenty to read your way through to the final on Sunday. It's so exciting. Anyway, thank you so much, Bex, for joining us. Uh, that's it from Linz and I. Speak to you next week. You've been listening to the Offside Rule WSL edition, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Offside Rule at offsiderulepodcast.com and by following at Offside Rule Pod on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Offside Rule WSL edition is a Money Knees Media production. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.